Hey, hi, hello. Welcome to episode 63 of Trail Society, brought to you by our friends over at Free Trail. I'm Corinne Malcolm. I'm Keely Henninger. And I'm Hillary Allen. And the gang is back together. <laughs> That's right. We're all back on the right time zones, at least physically, emotionally, and <laughs> mentally. Might not be the case. How is everyone feeling? Keely, you uh, just said that you were wide awake at 3 a.m. this morning, fresh off the plane from Japan. What's going on? Yeah, JT and I were both up at 3. It was really weird. We are like, what time zone are we even on? Like, it's 8 p.m. in Japan. It's 6 p.m. in Thailand. It's 3 a.m. here. Clearly, we're not on any of them. <laughs> but I suppose that's what you get when you, you know, you get two days in, Th- in Thailand before the race. Then I didn't sleep the night before the race very much. Then I didn't sleep for two nights. Then I had a red eye. <laughs> and then we had a red eye coming back. And then it was delayed for 12 hours. So, like... I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to crash really hard one of these days, but right now I feel okay. Yeah, this afternoon. I think this afternoon you're going to be like, I have to make it to 7 p.m. And if I make it to 7 p.m., then I can go to bed. That was me coming back from Cape Town. I was over there just long enough that like the first day I got home, it was like 4.30 and I was falling asleep on the couch and I texted (laughs) Steven and I was like, how long do I have to stay awake for? (laughs) And he's like, make it to seven. And I was like, okay. So at (laughs) 6.45, I like took Pete out to go to the bathroom. Steven was at work. I like, and I brushed my teeth. I was under the covers by 7 p.m. And I slept for 12 hours. Okay, that's going to be my goal for tonight. Hopefully I can fall asleep by then. Because last night I was cleaning at 11 (laughs) p.m. No, I know. Not doing it real. <laughs> Kelly, how about you? You were gone for a while. You were over in the UK and then over to yeah. Thailand. How are you doing with the time change back? Yeah, same. I actually got back last night uh, from the UK. So I was a similar thing. I think I made it to like 7.30 before I fell asleep. And then I just was kind of, I got I got up at like at five. But um, nice. yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I took a little bit of a different, you know, way. And, but still like the jet lag when I got over to Thailand was so real. I remember my first big training run with like these, my Thai team of individuals, I had gotten two hours of sleep the night before and we're supposed to run like 50 K through the jungle. And I'm like, Oh my God, how am I supposed to do this? (laughs) It was so rough. Um, And we can talk about some of this a little bit more, but yeah, I've definitely flown in super late to races that ended up being super hot and super humid. And it turns out that being, uh acclimated is one thing but being on the right time zone is a different thing and like i i've bailed out a race of i bailed out of a race in india before because my body was like you were way too warm this is not the right time of day like your cortisol and melatonin and everything that helps control your body temp is like all out of whack so i feel that in a big way i felt that in cape town too but if you're a longtime listener, you might know that we've been drinking ag1 for i don't know two years now the OGs with us, the folks over at AG1, started drinking AG1 daily because we really needed something that kind of ticked all the health boxes, got that prebiotic, probiotic, symbiotic sensation for my iron absorption needs, got those little daily micro and macro nutrients, helping my immune system management. And since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously redefining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. It was in my luggage once again. We do a lot of traveling, it turns out. It was in my luggage once again on my way to Cape Town, um, which was great on the back end when I was mostly drinking wine and and, uh, needed something else to be consumed during the day. Um, but again, AG1 is a supplement 
that we trust to support our body's needs. And that's why they've been a partner with us for so long. And if you want to take ownership of your health, it can start with AG1. So to try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of um, immune-supporting vitamin D3K2, and uh, if you live in the Northern Hemisphere, you need that D3 right now as well, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase, you can go over to drinkag1.com slash trail society. Again, that's drinkag1.com slash trail society. Okay, guys, it's a no news, no results week (laughs) because, well, we've got a lot of recapping to do today from the vision quest we have been on. The last three weeks feels a lot more like three months. And so we got to dive in. But on my end anyway, before we get into the nitty gritty of these international races, um, we got to talk a little bit about the elephant in the room. I know that many of you tuning in will want to hear about it a little bit as well. And by elephants, I'm not talking about Doyanthanon uh, <laughs> or Thailand um, or being on safari in South Africa. I'm talking about my uh, very public breakup with UTMB. And so I'm wondering, what do you guys want to know? Where do I even start? <laughs> I mean, I think just tell us what happened. Mm. Uh, yeah, give us all the context. Once upon a time, right? I feel like I'm telling a really weird bedtime story. Once upon a time, (laughs) there was a little girl named Corinne Malcolm. No, I, so for those of you guys who don't know, I informally worked for UTMB and by worked, I mean volunteered um, starting all the way back in 2018, 2019, doing just uh, coverage at their UTMB Mont Blanc events. Pandemic happened, came back out with stuff in 2021 where I was hurt. So I worked um, the full UTMB Mont Blanc um, race weekend took actually took charge of the English channel, helping us um, kind of evaluate our schedule of how we we're all going to function as commentators for the weekend. Again, in 2022 and 2023, uh, that expanded in 2022 with the coverage of other by UTMB races. And that's where a formal contract came into play. And by formal contract, I mean, an email that says, hey, these are the six races we want you to work. And this is the day rate that we've agreed to pay you. Um, so formal, formal contract in a, in legal jargon, it's not, it's more of a handshake, but, um, essentially you all are aware you're a listener of this podcast. I'm really good at a good Corinne rant. And, uh, one of my rants has been just kind of being, being critical of the sport and being critical of where we're headed. And part of being critical of the sport is because I love this sport a whole heck of a lot. Um, I spend a lot of my time thinking about it and doing it and coaching people for it and volunteering for it to try to make it better. And one of the people and organizations I've wanted to make better is UTMB, both from the inside as a commentator, um, making sure that we have equitable coverage to the best of our ability, but also when it comes to, you know, just like reflecting on the change and the growth in our sport and what that means for professional athletes and what that means for the community members, et cetera. And essentially, um, while I see myself as a contracted commentator, they see me as a spokesperson for the event. And being a critical spokesperson uh, did not jive with the folks over in Chamonix in the UTMB office. So um, I think Wednesday or Thursday after the races in Cape Town, I had gotten an email um, asking me to to have this video call, um, which I was like, oh, yeah, because we got to talk about Doyanthanon. And I was told that it was actually about Doyanthanon. I was supposed to do coverage with Martin for that event, um, leaving him in a lurch ultimately, which I felt horrible about as well. But yeah, I got on this call that was not about the races in Thailand. And instead, it was um, being told that the door was closing for now for me with UTMB because of the way that I've spoken out against the event, um, that I am, quote unquote, against them 
which I think is, I don't know, maybe, maybe I am, but I think it's more about like just wanting everyone to be better and to serve the sport and serve the growth of the sport and the community to the best of our ability. And so that door closed. And I of course posted very publicly on Instagram about that. And I thought that was kind of hilarious. Cause man, if you're going to tell me that I, that you don't like me talking, talking about you guys, but at the same time, you're going to fire me. I'm also going to tell people that. So they're also, they're not happy with me about that either. And that's neither here nor there. They have since asked me to talk again. I have agreed to talk again and then have been, it's been crickets ever since. So I don't know what that means, but someone also asked, like, is this definite? Like, is this going to like, was this permanent? What does that even look like? And on my end, I, I think that, that, you know, UTMB Mont Blanc in particular, like holds a huge place in my heart. I love that race. I've been there basically every year since I started trail running. Um, but at this point in time, it's not me who needs to change. It's the organization. Um, and so I don't know what that path forward looks like, unfortunately, but I'll still be at Western States because that is an independent race. And we run that broadcast independently as well. And then I'm excited about some other cool races that I'll get to support this year, be it um, some shorter distance stuff, be it stuff with kind of alongside the folks at Aravipa and Jamil, be it some stuff with the World Trail Majors. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping that the big story at the end of the day is that we continue to support the community to the best of our ability. But because of that, I, uh, I won't be making any appearances at by UTMB races for the, uh, at least upcoming months, um, which makes me also have athletes at those races. Um, I'm not punishing anyone for being at those races, but I, I personally just won't be there. So it feels, it feels like there'll be a little bit of a hole in my season and my schedule, but for right now it's, it's the right thing for me to do, which I imagine is making people feel very like conflicted as well. I know that Keely, you were over in Thailand being like, what the heck is happening? Like, what am I doing? Um, long time listener, big supporter of us, Jenny Quilty, I know struggling with those same emotions and feelings. So I feel for the athletes out there, my friends, my community members, my colleagues who are feeling like they're being pushed up against a wall a little bit. And I'd say, you know, you got to do what's best for your career and your sponsorship and your platforms. Um, but yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how things evolve over the next four months, six months, 12 months, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting space. Um, and I don't think there's like a right or wrong way. Like it's just, it's really hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the thing that I've been critical about is not, it's not even our cover. It's not about the equity stuff. It's about, in my mind, there's a disconnect between the Iron Man controlling like fraction of the North American races and the office in France. And I don't think there's good communication between those parties. Um, I feel bad for the Pilates. Like the Pilates have had like shots fired at them over many things that have happened in the last six to 12 months. And uh, I feel for them in a big way because I don't think it's their fault by any means. But I do know that like, there seems to be a disconnect between the, yeah, I think in a large, in a large part because of Ironman's involvement in the sport and then them just coming in from kind of an outsider's perspective and not, not maybe being ready to pony up to the trail community. So we should It was interesting to to be over there because obviously it's like, well, in, in Thailand, right? Because it's obviously a very big race over there. And I think there's, there are a lot of things that they did well. There's a lot of things that could have been improved. Um, Keely and I were definitely talking about that. Um, 
One of which was the tracking. They literally didn't have me. Oh, so. you're, you're just listed as like, D, yeah, you were listed as a DNS for like the entire race. And it I was, was like, really, I texted, I texted Keely. I was like, did Hillary, Hillary finish, right? Like my estimation is that she finished eighth <laughs> or ninth. And, yeah. and actually, like, yeah. I actually finished eighth, but like I had to show them my Strava files and stuff like this, but there was, there was a mess up. So they, they actually had me listed there as ninth, but my time is, it's, it's, it's silly, but Weird. um, so yeah. Yeah, me too. My time was wrong. <laughs> They could have been, like, but it was really stressful because at the end I was like, I need this if I'm like, if I, cause I actually do want to qualify for UTMB. So there's like, there's nuances there. Right. It's like, and I think, um, obviously I'm always team Corinne and I always appreciate your just honesty and like, you want the sport to be better. And, you know, obviously when you commentate, it's like, who's gonna, who's gonna do a better job than you at these things. Like, I wouldn't want to follow your act if they're going to try to replace you in some capacity, but like, yeah, um, not not a job anyone wants right now. I think it's just I don't I don't think it's a yeah. I, don't really, I don't think people are jumping at the you know the chance to take right. over that seat by any means. Yeah. So cool. so it's like you know so there there is some conflict, but it's also like personally, it's like I've also had like the privilege of being at that event even before Ironman had it, and you know doing different races, and I I think it is a great a great race and a great course, and I have I have some unfinished business there, so I do mm-hmm. want to run it right. So it's like. I think there there are some nuances and some room for to be able to do some UTMB events, but also yeah. and we'll um, we'll say Ironman doesn't own UTMB. They have a forty five percent share of the company. They actually I think have very little input into European races, but they do. They are the managing party for all the North American races. Um, that is kind of that which is explains some other issues. Um, but yeah, I'm just in a position where it's like I hope mm. to do UTMB at some point in time. I was supposed to go to Tarawera and I'm not anymore just because I can't, I can't be there right now. Um, but it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, that business is unfinished and hopefully I'll get to go back there eventually. But mm-hmm. yeah, I just can't personally <clears throat> give them money right now, which is, even if it's not my money, even if it's Adidas's money, I just don't want to give, I just don't want to give them money right now. And that's, that's just, you know, part of the, part of the puzzle. But yeah, no, I hope to be back there at some point in time. Just mm-hmm. got to, they got to figure out what's happening before I think I make make the jump across the pond for for that race specifically. Maybe some other races. Swiss Alps is looking pretty darn good right now. But yeah. Yeah, I think that's where we're going to leave it for now. I guess if you guys have any specific questions for me about what happened, you the listeners at home or on the run or in the car or wherever you are, um, I am happy to, you know, shoot me a DM, shoot me an email, etc. Like happy to happy to chat through anything but yeah it was it's it's frustrating more than anything but it also I feel very liberated right now because I feel like I've had to like tiptoe with my relationship as like on the board of the PTRA I like I have been inside the meetings with UTMB like being critical but being critical privately is okay to them being critical publicly is not okay to them Mm. and it's it's like I've I've been I've been the mean voice in the room for them for the last two years like they're they're they know exactly who I am. Um, but I just think that, yeah, mm-hmm. they expect me to be a spokesperson and they don't pay me to be a spokesperson. They don't really, you know, it's like, I'm not, I'm not getting paid that much anyway, but they're definitely not paying me to be a spokesperson. So, you know, you get, you get what you pay for, I guess. And I, uh, I need to be, uh, I need to serve my community and the trail running trail runners and the PTRA. And, um, that's what I'll keep doing for the time being. So I'll get to run some other stuff this year. Um, but I think we're going to kind of move towards recapping 
what the heck happened in Thailand and Cape Town. Um, before we do, we got to give a big shout out to the people that fueled us to mm -hmm. those adventures, fueled not only our travel, but fueled our our racing legs for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours um, in perpetuity. And that's the folks over at the feed. They have been with us for a long time now, and we love getting those feed orders. They show up at my doorstep so darn quickly, and I'm always so excited. I am fighting Stephen for the waffles every month now, which is really frustrating because I've had to like double order waffles because uh, he's he's also training and uh, I'm training and working in the hospital, and he keeps stealing my snacks. So if you too <laughs> want uh, some snacks, you're going to go over to www.thefeed.com slash trail society. And there you can get a feed credit to use quarterly towards some sick <clears throat> snacks. What kind of snacks did you guys take with you across the pond? Mm. Oh my God. So many, like two pounds worth of things. Holy crap. I thought, yeah. I thought, I thought that my, cause I didn't know, like, it's always hard. You were gone for a long time too. Yeah. And I was like training and then like had to do. And we'll get into that, like how, you know, I had, I thought like two weeks or 10 days of, you know, acclimatization would have been enough. <laughs> Turns out maybe not. Um, but anyways, I'm, and I, like, I traveled with like a lot of things like gels because it's like more humid. So I thought that I would be a little bit more dependent on carbohydrates for like a race like that. And it wasn't a hundred miles. So I brought like more, more of those, um, and a variety of them. Some of them exploded en route. So I didn't get to use that, but I feel um, like it ran like a hundred though for your hundred days. <laughs> I totally did. Totally did. Cause the hundred um, ran like a 200. <laughs> Oh boy. And so, but like, uh, and lots and lots and lots of electrolyte mix. That's what I brought. Uh, Keely, oh. besides avocado smoothies, which people were really freaked out about in my DMs. By oh the my way. God, they're so good. They're so good. Oh yeah. So besides <laughs> avocado like... smoothies, what else did you bring with you to consume? So I actually, there? I didn't get the avocado smoothie. Maybe I'll tell that later, but the JT, JT got it. it. Well, the thing is, is he asked me what time I was coming through the next aid. Oh. I said 7.30. I meant the next aid, which was the aid before I saw him, which was like three hours from that aid. So no. <laughs> he was waiting for like five and a half, six hours. And so the smoothie melted. So he ate it, but he didn't like it. So he ate like half it. But it's really just avocado and milk. <laughs> <laughs> but it's weirdly good. I don't know. It's really refreshing. Anyways, I didn't get one, which was so sad. Um, but I had a lot of oatmeal. And then um, so I got a lot of oatmeal from the feed. And took that. And I feel like that goes down really well. So it's like a new hundred mile snack I found that I can actually eat. My 200 mile um, athletes eat a lot of oatmeal too. Cause it's yeah, soft. Cause it's soft. Yeah. It goes yeah. down so mm. fast. Um, and then, yeah, I think I just got a, like a ton of assortment of bars, which I actually ended up only eating like half a one yeah. probably the whole time, but I ate a lot of them like on our travels after and stuff. So it was <laughs> perfect. Cause like there we were just traveling so much that like half the time we didn't have time for lunch or anything. So it was good to have like some hearty bars on, on person. Um, so the feed definitely came through per <laughs> use. Mm -hmm. Love it. Love the feed. <clears throat> Go support those guys and gals. They keep supporting us and we are very, very grateful for them. So we're gonna get back on track. We all raced, as you can tell, um, and we're all doing just fine emotionally and psychologically at this point, but we're going to tackle, um, you know, getting to those start lines and finish lines in a couple sections here. And the way I set it up is I want to talk about preparation. So physical and mindset. I want to talk about how the races actually went, um, highs and lows in particular, and then uh, <clears throat> reflection on the races now that we have, we all have are like a little bit more removed from said adventures. And then 
kind of a reflection on 2023 as a whole, because it's the end of the year. And I think that that's really fitting. And we'll kind of look ahead to 2024. So um, let's start with Hilly. Hilly, calling on you first. You're in the hot seat. You had a great summer. You did a lot of biking. Um, for those of you who are following back in time, you had a surgery um, back in the spring that ended up giving you a lot of range of motion, but I think recovery from it was a little bit slower than I had anticipated. There was some stress around it, but you spent a lot of time on the bike. You weren't even sure that you were in a race at all this year, running-wise, and you got some races in, including a 50K in Ireland at the end of September. Then you had another little clumsy whoopsie where you <laughs> broke a silly toe, I think, in October which I'm sure was like really fun and exciting in your build towards 100K. Mm. But I guess I'd love to kind of talk a little bit about like there were hiccups along the way, but how do you feel about the work that you put in to get to that start line in Thailand? Yeah, I think there is, it was such an unexpected year, obviously, like we never know what's going to happen, but I did not expect to, um, I really did not know if I was actually going to be able to race a running race this year. and. Um. It was hard. I mean, I, the amount of like the uncertainty that I had leading up to, to this Thailand race was like no other race that I've actually ever had. I mean, usually, just like imposter syndrome or like, what do you mean? No, just, just like ups and downs with the injury recovery. Like, um, mm-hmm. you know, I just felt like I couldn't really gain any momentum and I spent a, a long time really, um, not just feeling like myself, not feeling confident, um, just in the ankle itself. Cause, um, just with more range of motion, I had to kind of, I was working like lengthening of tendons and that was just causing a lot of pain and discomfort. And I, I'm just not willing to run through pain. So I wasn't putting in big miles and, um, it's just kind of like knock my confidence. So I really had to kind of take a different mental approach. It's like, okay, well, it's not, my training is not going to look the same as it has in, in years past. And so, um, it took a lot of confidence, uh, to try to get to, to, to even reach the start line, um, and patience, but I'm actually overall, I think I'm coming out of this race, even though it didn't go, um, I mean, yeah, it was, it was, it is what it is like for different reasons, right? Actually, the coolest thing about this race is that my ankle actually started to feel good about maybe 10 days before, (laughs) before the race itself, which is kind of funny. Um, and I actually didn't feel it at all during, during the race, like that wasn't the limiting factor. And so I'm actually coming out of this, like more motivated than ever of just kind of, of little things I could do, not necessarily like wanting to run myself into the ground. Oh, but, but I've heard you want to go to the track. Ellie Pell texted me and she's yeah. like, Hillary wants me to yeah. go to the track. And I was like, you can't go to the track yet. Like you can <laughs> go to the uphill. You can do uphill and with John. Don't push it. Don't push it. The ankle just start feeling good. No, 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 no. You guys are misunderstanding. Not that I'm trying to go to the track to like, you know, I want to work on running economy and like to work on running efficiency and to work on just a little bit of turnover. I'm not, I don't want to go break my ankle again on the ice and snow. Like I am not but, into that. So no, whole, no, 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 no whole, stubbing your toes, no breaking anything. Exactly. Okay? So, so the whole thing about wanting to do something different for me is to, to go to the track, work on a little bit of speed. And I think that that could, I'm not going to like, you know, typically transition there but it sounds like really fun to do that this time of year and I think that could actually back to basics back to basics I feel like feels really really good and I guess kind of on that 
on that note, because we'll talk about what actually happened in the race here in a little bit, but I'd also like to talk but to, about preparation in the sense that, like, you, unlike Keely and I, who did the whole, like, we're getting there last minute and just <laughs> a Hail Mary situation, mm-hmm. you um, <laughs> jumped across the pond a lot earlier. You spent some time in the UK before ultimately spending some time ahead of the race in Thailand. And I'm just, like, wondering... <laughs> Um, you know, how you feel about making the jump over early. I know that you've done this um, for a number of races. Just kind of talk a little bit about, you know, being able to pull that off and like what that, like how you felt that went in your build up to the race. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the big things about how I pull it off is obviously I just don't, I just, uh, racing is, is, is part of how I make a living, but it's also, you know, I could, I have the ability to be able to coach and, and do that do that remotely. So I'm able to speak with the athletes that I coach while I'm traveling. So that's, that's awesome. And always being in contact there. So, but for me, um, especially after what happened, um, with my big accident, traveling really, really wrecks me. And so I really need to be cognizant about, um, super long periods of of travel and like one of like, you know, continuous 24 hour travel to get to Thailand was something really intimidating for me. And so to be able to, um, break it up a little bit, actually, my body responds a lot a lot better. And because I was still kind of going through the ups and downs of this ankle, um, I also have some, um, you know, connections to some PTs. I have quite a few friends in the London area. So be able to kind of like seek that help there as well before kind of traveling. So for me, it was more like logistical, um, just to try to take care of my body as much as I could before I asked and demanded so much of it. Um, thankfully the humid environment, like the warmer environment helped me a lot. And I was able to kind of, um, to, to hook up with the, with the local Thai, Thai running, um, community there and like kind of get any extra support that I needed from like, uh, like muscle, muscular skeletal, um, kind of point of view, but that's like my whole logic. And also, I mean, coming from, I know, you know, both of us, um, all three of us are coming from, you know, <laughs> a cold environment to the hot. And, uh, that was something I definitely needed to, um, I wanted to, to, you know, acclimatize to a little bit more, um, because running in humid humidity is just such a different beast than I'm used to. Uh, I know like even running in hot <laughs> races, like I've, I've done it, but like, oh my God, it's like, and I hadn't done it in a while. So again, this is my first, this is my first hunt. This is my first race over 50 K in, in a year, over a year. And so I wanted to be a little bit more diligent with my buildup because I didn't want to risk being injured again. Um, so that's, was my logic kind of going into this race. Sweet. I love it. I think it's smart. Not everyone can pull that off, but I've right. I, like, if, if I had been able to travel earlier, I would have gone to like the UK or somewhere in Europe pre Cape town to make that time change jump and then come down to Cape town. Um, mm-hmm. kind of when I did already, like, you know, race week type of thing, but already make right. the time change earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, just from like a training ease perspective, Keely, we talked a little bit on a podcast a couple episodes back about the Verdi sessions you were doing, the hikes you were doing, the kind of the excitement of doing something very different in preparation for the 100-mile race at Doyenthanon. And while that's a lot of physical work, I would really like to talk a little bit about the mental work because even if the race went perfectly, mm-hmm. like you'd likely be out there for almost yeah. twice as long as you've mm-hmm. been, as you've raced, right? Like that's a, that's a long time. It's a slow hundred mile race. Even the fastest mm-hmm. end of this race is a slow yeah. hundred mile race. I'd like to talk about getting your mind right. Knowing going in that you were going like in for a big, long adventure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like you, to your point of if, it, even if it went like the best it possibly could go, I mean, it still would have been like a 35 hour day. There's no way I would have touched that 30 hour mark. Like 
the way those women moved on the downhills, just outside of my abilities. Like it was so very impressive, like hats off to them, just next level running. I guess I don't even know if I call it running, but like next level (laughs) moving, like so impressive. Um, yeah, that's but, how I felt too, Keely. It's yeah, like it's it just so impressive specificity. Like, it's like that type yeah. of running on jungle. You're trails. not running on trail. Like no. it's just insane. So, mm-hmm. like, yeah, come bushwhack like, with even, me. You guys, can yeah, come like, hang out even in the, the best case would have been you know double my Western States time almost. So, like, yeah, I'm with you. I don't think I thought of it that way. Like talking to Jenny before the race, she was under the impression that it might be easier than last year. <laughs> not. Um, so we were kind of like, Oh, sub 30 hours for sure. Like, even if it's like, cause in my mind, I never went into this thinking like, I'm going to win this thing. It's just like, you never know with a hundred. And also I've never ran that far in my life. So like I went in really chill, but like thinking it'd be under 30 hours, you know, like, Oh, this seems reasonable. Um, I think like mentally, I just stayed really positive and open to like a new experience with like no expectations Um, and like my only expectation was like to finish if I could, um, because like I was telling a lot of people before this and I wasn't being like facetious. I I was like, I have no clue if I can do this. Like I have absolutely no clue. And they would always be like, Oh no, you can. I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) Like, this is totally outside of my comfort zone. And I think that's what kept me like mentally fresh. And then now again, like did the mental status stay that fresh the whole time? Of course not. Like, Oh my gosh, there was so much many times during it where I was like, I want to stop. This is horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I'd say like mentally definitely kept it more chill. I think it was like advantageous and disadvantageous for me because I went in really chill, not that many expectations. I think with that came a little bit of lack of preparation in the sense that I didn't plan out my fueling a ton and like think really holistically about like ranges of time and like really accounting for like, oh, I might need extra water for these sections or extra food for these sections. Like in my mind, I saw, you know, eight miles and I was like, oh, worst case scenario, that's X hours. Like, no, no, it's like an Mm -hmm. extra two hours on that. And like, I ran out of water and food often, you know, so it's like, okay, that's a big mess up. And again, I don't know if I would have been able to prepare for that better, but I think just going in with even bigger, like grace periods for those slots to be like, no, I always have extra, even if I don't need it, like that would have been a little smarter. But again, this was so insane that like, I'm just happy to finish and like happy that I went in feeling like happy to be there and excited to actually race. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard when the race all of a sudden is going to go a lot longer than you were planning. Like I could have walked in UTMB in 2019 when I was vomiting for 60 miles. Like I could have walked it in. I could have walked it in. I could have found some British dudes to hike with. And would have a great <laughs> yep. time. But I was not emotionally prepared to finish yeah. the race. I was emotionally oh. prepared to run 24 hours or 26 yeah. hours or whatever. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I was not ready to run. 30 hours and I just like I couldn't like I was like I'm done I've been vomiting for 100k not doing this anymore so it's like yeah it's hard and I think my only only saving grace was my watch died at 21 hours so I was like honestly I have no clue what time it is how long I've been out here like when I met JT at like hour 25 I got his Casio watch that just tells me (laughs) time of day like that's what I wore (laughs) and like a man Mentally, after Steven's heart so hard but at least I was like no I'm just gonna finish like I have no clue what time it is I have no clue what place I'm in I'm just keep going like <laughs> but, I love it. Yeah. yeah but your race crin was like a bit longer or sorry a bit shorter a bit little shorter. bit more expected because it's like the course is stands for the past you know 
five, mm-hmm. 10 years, like <laughs> something people have ran before. <laughs> so how, how did you prepare for that? I know you hadn't been to running Cape Town before, um, but like Cape Town's relatively technical too, yeah. and also pretty hot. So like, what was your preparation like for that coming from gloomy, cold Seattle? Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, so I was there last year for commentary. So I ran, I had seen from Ladudno Beach to mm. out like the, uh, like Hout Bay, essentially I'd done Souther Peak. Mm, um, nice. Or cool suffer feet. peak. Uh, That's the hardest one. <laughs> oh, we picked up. I'll tell you about the French boy we picked up out there. It was great. Just made him join our really weird little team of merry runners. Um, but yeah, it was one of those things where it's like I. So my 2022 was a lot like Hillary's 2023 in that I couldn't build momentum. I every time I thought I'd gotten my feet under me, the rug would get pulled out again. I couldn't figure out why I couldn't put the pieces together, et cetera. And we now, I now have a team in place that allows me to do that for the most part. I still keep messing it up. Like (laughs) I tried to go to Kodiak as you are all aware and run a qualifier there. And I dropped out at mile 28 or 29 because my adductor got really angry. And it wasn't, to me, it wasn't worth hurting myself knowing that I had this trip coming up with my mom to Cape town. And like, yes, I was going to run the race, but it was really a trip for me and my mom. Um, which was really, really cool. My mom turned 60 this year and it was like a big, one of her big trips for the season, for the year. She's taking a trip with each of each of the the kids, um, which is my mom is so, my mom's so cool. I am so lame. My mom is very cool. Um, so I knew that I wanted to be healthy enough to run at Cape town. I also realized when I hurt myself at Kodiak or almost hurt myself at Kodiak that I hadn't gotten body work in like 10 weeks. And for Mm. me, a big piece of my the puzzle of staying healthy because it turns out stretching only does so much for me is getting manual therapy done um like almost every other week or so just like it's the one thing that seems to keep me healthy it's expensive as all get out and <laughs> i don't know what i'm gonna do when i retire from running at some point in time but it's like it allows me to stay healthy um in a really really big way and so saw that course corrected really quickly got back in with my team we've hit you know hit the ground running have been you know was able to get back to running pretty quickly post kodiak and feel like we had a nice build. I got in some good runs, was in the sauna at the gym just down the street from our house. Um, felt pretty good. I like generally do pretty well in bad conditions. I just I'm good at I'm good at digging into it and suffering. I'm really good at the cooling strategies during the race and knew that I'd have a good crew there. So I wasn't too worried about that stuff. Um, but yeah, the preparation was, I think a lot psychological, just going in knowing what I wanted to do. My mom and I had this conversation ahead of the race because she was gonna be crewing me along with our really good friend, Josh Kaywood, who's a local to South Africa. And I was like, look, like, it's not gonna be perfect, probably. But I want you to just tell me to keep going. Like, if I come in at any point, and I'm like, this doesn't feel good, just tell me that you're Mm -hmm. gonna see me at the next aid station. Because my goal really was like, this time last year, I was running four miles at a time. Like, I couldn't run more than that. Like, I was coming back from hurting myself at TDS because I wasn't taking care of myself, it turns out. Um, And so (laughs) I really just wanted to run the circuit come hell or high water, kind of akin to Keely going in being like, I just want to have a day out there. And so I had a day, I had a full value day. It was longer than expected. And we can talk about that more in a little bit, but it was like, I just wanted to run the whole circuit. And I got, I got exactly what I paid for. And I ran the whole circuit and saw a beautiful sunset and um, not where I was hoping to see a sunset. I was hoping to see a sunset at our Airbnb. (laughs) (laughs) uh, It was, it was everything that I needed. And I have a lot of confidence coming out of it knowing that I came out of it healthy. Like I came out of it with no niggles. I took my off season in Cape town with 10 days of no running. Um, but it was one of those things where it's like, I needed to come out of that healthy 
And I did. And I'm so grateful that my body has allowed me to do that time and time again this year, for the most part of getting to start lines and finish lines for the first time really since like 2020. So um, hell yeah, is what I have to say. Preparation is getting better and better. So that's good on my end. Okay. So now we're going to dive into what the heck actually happened out there. We're going to try not to make this (laughs) two hours. Um, So I want to mostly focus on the highs and lows with some interesting stories from maybe what you experienced in the jungle, et cetera. Um, So Hilly, we're going to start with you again first. Um, Running again, the 100K at Doyenthanon. And for those of us keeping tabs on you from afar, like again, we mentioned your tracker didn't work the entire time, which meant that (laughs) it was really hard to figure out what the heck was happening. Like we were literally in the dark out there. So I would like just to hear a little bit about kind of like how the day got started and how you needed to course correct out there to make sure you made it to the finish line. Yeah. So, um, where do I start? Where to start? (laughs) Basically. Um, so I, because I was out there earlier, my longest training runs are actually on the course. Um, so I got to kind of see, uh, what was going on and like running with the local ties. I was like, how the heck do they run like this downhills this is insane. Um, so I was like trying to like learn, you know, but what the real, the real, um, like, uh, like something that I just didn't expect was that it's rained for two days before my start of the race. It was raining during Keeley's race, mm-hmm. which made things like super so wet super slippery and so like on both the uphill and the downhill so basically this is something and this is you know this helps from racing frequently and I kind of was I had raced a lot this year on a bike but not running and I think I was a little bit maybe um rusty on the things I needed to do I should have brought different shoes to change Mm -hmm. into and socks because Mm -hmm. this is something I actually did at Ultra Trail Cape Town the year prior I changed shoes four times and changed socks four times like Josh also crewed me and he was like, just like getting in there and like taking off my shoes and like, you know, dragging me down. He was amazing. But like, Mm -hmm. but, and the, but logistically during this race is something I actually didn't really consider because there were only two crewed Mm -hmm. aid stations um, to get to. And they were, you know, it took like really far far apart. And Mm -hmm. so it wasn't really, really realistic unless I was you know, changing socks and shoes on the ground, <laughs> um, you know, in the meantime, which like maybe bringing socks with me, which I mean, I, you know, maybe should have, um, mm-hmm. but basically my feet were wet from the very beginning. I started off like, you know, comfortably within like the top three, top five. And I think that that would have been a very comfortable place for me to maintain, but at about literally 30 K after a pretty gnarly, like one, like 1200 meter descent, um, my, I could just tell that already my, my feet were moving very a lot in my shoes. Uh, They're already starting to blister, which is something I don't get a lot of practice in, uh, like just be feet being wet all of the time. And, um, you know, tried to do the best I could to kind of dry them off, but, um, there's only so much you could do. And it, from that point on, it was just kind of like, I've really had to slow down. Um, I think I was still within like, um, five through eighth position, um, for the remainder of the race. But again, it was just like, I kind of just tried to hold on to different things, um, to, you know, keep me going at Keely. And I talked like, you know, the, before the race started and it's like, you just have to keep moving. You just find ways to keep moving. It's not about like, it might feel so slow, but it's really just finding ways to keep moving forward and problem solving. And that's like really what I wanted to do. It's like, I wrote in my journal, like I always do before a race, Um, but the first thing I wrote is like, 
a single performance doesn't define you. Like I'm so mm-hmm. proud of, I write to myself, like in the third person, it's like, I'm so proud of you for getting to this start line. It's taken a lot of hard work. So this, like, this is a celebration. Like we're going, we're going to get to the finish line because that's the most important thing. Of course, I wanted to get top 10. Um, but I really, that was what I always kept in the back of my mind. So that like, you know, if that happened, even if I didn't, you know, place within the top 10, I was still going to make it to the finish line. And that's really what mm-hmm. kept me going when the feet just became so painful. Like by 50 K, they were still in pretty bad shape. And then, um, it just got worse and worse. So I just had to keep on slowing down. Um, and the, but like the last 15 miles are probably the most painful. Um, the last like 30, like 28, 30 K were very, very painful. Mm-hmm. Cause it was like a lot of downhill. I think it logged a 20 minute mile on a descent. Heads, heck yeah. Shit. And, um, <laughs> definitely use my poles in the descent, but like my, I, my, toenails were already coming off and like bloodied by that point. The bottoms of my feet were just like gnarly trench, trench foot city. I've never seen it like that. Like literally it's like, you could, it sounds so gross, but like, you know, you could like pull apart and like see no, like where the no. foot was coming up. Okay. No, well, <laughs> no. Yep. Well, that's mm. what was happening. So, um, uh, I cried happy tears, um, and just tears of relief. Uh, once I reached the finish line, like hugged my crew, but like Literally in the moments, like we had Sally McRae on our last podcast and she was someone that I was thinking about out there. Mm-hmm. Like she could run 200 miles and her feet were like that. And like the blisters on the back of her heels. I was like, you can find a way to get through 60. Let's go. And so that was literally in my head. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the people who I'd met along the way who were out there running on the course, like who were cheering for me and like, you know, we couldn't even speak English, but they're just so nice. And the people supporting me. And so that's really what kept me going. Um, and it's what helped me to just like, keep on putting one foot in front of the other, even when it, you know, it wasn't, it was not pretty. <laughs> so you get to pick one high and one low. What's your one high and your one low, your rose, your rose and your thorn from the race. One low. Yeah. Sorry, babe. You got one low. Uh, <laughs> only get to choose the lowest of the lowest or the funniest oh god of the that 20 20 minute mild descent where my feet were just like uh, like I kept mm-hmm. like a kicking kicking rocks where I just literally like it was like so painful that I felt like my stomach was gonna drop out of my body um Oof. so that that um and then honestly the biggest high was um that literally a moment after that where I literally told myself out loud I was like Hillary it's gonna hurt you're not stopping you're gonna make it to the finish line it's just gonna hurt and then I kept going and I didn't cry again (laughs) um so that was a pretty cool thing since like if you just decide to do it you can um you can yeah, you get to choose. You get to choose how you're responding to the scenario. And you can like mm-hmm. have a pity party, which we've all had. Or you can be like, hey, like, sorry, like, sorry, hon, not your day. Like, just get your shit together. Yeah. Get your poop, get your poop in a group. I'm a big, I'm a big person for saying poop in a group. You need to get your poop in a group out there. Yeah. Oh, Keely love. Hundred miles. I don't know how many hours it took. We're gonna call it 40-ish. I love you. Uh, for those of us uh, follow you on Instagram, they've seen the photos uh, from you of the course. Um, the people are going to be wondering, <laughs> that's a course that looks like a, a stick tied across a river. Um, that looks like a hillside covered in ants. Um, and we've obviously seen the amazing text that you sent uh, back and forth with JT, where you're like, don't know how this happened. 
taking notes and I died when JT posted that during your race. Um, <laughs> so fill in the gaps for us. We know you had to fight to the finish. What exactly, what exactly went down out in the jungle? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Hardest thing I've ever done. But I would say like the first 30 miles, which took longer than I thought they would, but only by like an hour were kind of what I thought I got into. Like they were mm. a mix of technical regular trail and some road. Like it was not just bushwhacking. And so in my mind, I was like, okay, this is like what I was expecting. It's like pretty jungly, but it's like you get some running miles. Like it was very good combo. I felt, and I felt like really in control of everything. I felt really like inside my own head and was not thinking about other people. Um, and so like the first 30 felt like really nice. And I felt like I was like really in control of everything. Stayed on top of my fueling for the most part. And then kind of like after a 50 K, maybe a little bit further than that. Um, it started to get really, really technical and also became nighttime. And that's kind of where for me, like things went, started going South because all of a sudden, like the gaps between aid stations took like hour to hour and a half longer. And I was like constantly coming up short with water, coming up short with fuel and like not fueling well either, because I was focusing so much on like not falling and where my foot went and where my hands went and all these things that like you know, an hour would go by and you wouldn't even think it was an hour. It felt like 20 minutes and you hadn't drank or eat anything, you know? And so like, that's where like the wheels really started falling off. And I also found myself like finding myself thinking about the other racers, which again, I think at that point in the race, no need to do that. And so two things like shame on me was like, Hey, stay on top of your stuff. Even when you're thinking about all these other things and don't think about other people that early in the race, like still just focus on you. And again, retro, like looking back on things always easier than in the moment. And, but I, I can mm -hmm. tell for the first time in like a hundred mile race where like, I definitely messed up. Um, now that being said, like, you know, in these hundred mile races, like you get a tons of up, tons of ups and downs. And I found myself like kind of struggle busing like 35 ish to 55 ish. And then all of a sudden, like got a little bit of a second wind and I was like, Oh, cool. Now I feel like, okay, again, and was like running again, like still again in the top four or five. Um, but like, at that point, past Jenny Quilty, shout out to Jenny, amazing. She ended up dropping, but yeah, you guys were going a back and forth a, a bit. We were going back and forth a bit. I wish we would have just stayed together because, like, we were far enough apart we weren't running together. But like, that's kind of lonely. Mm. Um. Anyways, so you know, kind of was like yo-yoing with her, and then kind of around seventy-ish, my feet all of a sudden just were so painful, and it was like out of nowhere. In retrospect, it definitely was something I should have taken care of way earlier. I should have just been preventative, kind of to Hillary's point, like running with that much moisture in your shoes, like you need to change your socks as soon as you see your first crew. And I didn't. And so, you know, I didn't change my socks until I had a ton of pain. And that was like 17 hours in. And like the bottom of my feet were trench foot. Like there were like rivets, like fissures yeah. down them Me too. and like blisters everywhere. And I was like, oh dear God. And so I changed my shoes then. Then I came across some bridges. So one of the pictures I sent out, that was a bridge. And then the bridge before that was, I'm not kidding, like over this rushing dam, about eight feet drop, a two by four. <laughs> I literally got in the water and waded around because I started crying. <laughs> I was like, I'm not coordinated enough for this. I'm going to fall in. Like, that's just, and again, a lot of people oh. made it across. I'm not that kind of person. I cannot cross like a rushing water on a two by four. My depth perception, not coordinated enough for that. So I got in the water again. The water really made my feet worse. And so then came into mile 
like 70 something where I saw JT, we had changed socks again. So this is sock number three. My mm-hmm. other shoes that I brought, unfortunately, like something went wrong with them. So I couldn't wear them. So I kept putting on the same wet shoe, which again, rookie move should have brought three pairs of shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the feet just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And so from miles like 70 ish to 89, they were, I was moving so slow because when it's like the whole ball of your foot is painful, like you can't climb very well. So I was like waiting my toes or waiting my heel, but yeah. the climbs are so steep that you can't really get up them. So like, I was probably moving like 45 minute miles. Like I don't even know what that is. <laughs> and that's where like the lowest, lowest for me, because like I couldn't move fast or at all, but also was in so much pain. And so I finally got to mile 87 aid station and got there and like took my shoes and socks off. And this was not a crew station, but the, the aid had medics. So I was like, can you please like do something with my feet? And they looked at me and were like, so you want to drop? And I'm like, no, no. And they're like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah. And so she like calls a doctor and is like, what do I do with this feet? <laughs> and so they like first put a fan on my feet for like 15 minutes. She's like, you mm-hmm. must sit here for a while. And I'm like, it's okay. Just please fix my feet. Like I can't walk on them. And so they dried my feet with a fan for like 15 minutes, dried my socks out, tried to dry my shoes. Then she like covered them in Vaseline, covered them in waterproof, like sealant almost like a big bandage and then wrapped them with gauze. And like, then it was probably like 45 minutes at the aid station drinking some soup. And finally I left and text JT. I'm like, okay, got my feet wrapped. Sorry. I'm like two hours now behind of what I was like. I just was there for an hour. Um, and but I kept moving and got out of there. It was a really steep climb. It was super painful for the next 15 minutes. In my mind, I'm like, oh my God, that didn't help. But then I think like the consistent time of them not being wet, like the fissures weren't getting wet anymore because they were covered in Vaseline and the the like mm. waterproof bandage slowly made it so I could load them. And so like, I'd say like around 90, all of a sudden I was like able to run again, which was awesome. I actually ran into a Frenchman who's from Canada who spoke English and was the first person who talked to me after like <laughs> 12 hours. And I was like, Oh, thank you. <laughs> so like ran with him to the next aid station and then ran with him through the next like climb, the beginning of the climb. And he was so optimistic. It was so cute. He's like, this next climb is not going to be like the other ones. It's going to be so nice, like switchbacks and trail. And I'm like, I don't think so, but we'll we'll see. And we get there and it's like deep sand and giant boulders that you're like climbing up. And then we get to the actual like steep climb. And it's again, just like straight up. (laughs) He's like, damn it. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, no, no easier. Um, But then I got to the final aid, called JT a little bit on the way to the aid, thought I was lost. Because again, running with a Casio, I had no clue what how far I was, how long I'd been out there. I was so disoriented. I'm like, I think I'm lost. Like, it's been so long. <laughs> Turns out I was just slow. Um, and maybe it was a little longer than it was supposed to be. But either way, just slow. And so I finally get to the last aid. We sit there for a bit, have some Pringles, shoot the shit, like positive vibes only. I'm like, all right, we're finished, finishing this thing. Ran all the steps to the finish. Like, felt like I got my fourth wind for the last like 10, 8, 10 miles, which was awesome. Um, and yeah, finish with smile on my face, but damn, that was hard. Like never need to do that again. Uh, I'd say the high was definitely running into that guy at mile 90. Like he saved my race 100%. Love it. And the low was like, for sure getting trench foot. And like, that was the most painful thing that I've ever had. So I've, I've already texted Jenny Quilty and I said, Hey, I told Keely that you guys should both, you guys should go run Mount Fuji together. And she was like, 
Interesting. I could be yeah. into this. So I'm yeah, planning your you know, season for you. I'm kind of debating you. that now. I don't think I want to run that. I'm still <laughs> just so scarred from 100 Mile. <laughs> Taking a little I'm break like, no, I'm going to do mile. shorter stuff for a bit. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. But oh, yeah. Um, but I mean... I'm excited to hear about what happened with you out there, Corinne. I know yeah. you went in also similar mindset to all two, all two, the other two of us. My gosh, I can't talk. Sorry, jet lag. But obviously we all kind of went into our races, like wanting to finish, right? Like yeah. we all were like, no, we need to freaking find our like mojo, finish this damn thing. Remember why we do this, suffer a bit, like finish. And like, it's all fun dandy when we say that, but like going into a race and actually suffering, it's hard, it's hard. Than you say it in the beginning. So like, Obviously your day was not as planned either, but you kind of expected that going in, but like, how was grow like grappling with that during, like, where did the wheels fall off? How did you grapple with that feeling? And like, how did you cope with your day also being a little bit longer than expected? Yeah. The wheels came off like basically immediately, just <laughs> that out there. Um, yeah, I thought I could run about 13 hours, if not a little bit faster, which would put me like in that kind of top three, top five group. And I thought that like, I thought with the fit, like I thought I had fitness to run, run that. But from the gun, basically, as soon as we started climbing, I was like, something's, I'm just off. Like, I just feel like this feels too hard. Mm. Like, I feel like, I didn't feel like I was running fast. I just felt like the effort was too high for like the output. Mm -hmm. And so I just like really needed to like, I kind of panicked. And then I really needed to like settle down and like, just be like, okay, you know what? We're just going to regroup and we're going to recoup this. And like, maybe I'll feel better later. I like want to run a really strong back half of this race course. Like that's what I'm most excited about is like getting gritty when I get past like help bay, when I get past, you know, kind of that 60 K ish marker. So I want to run really strong in the back half. I was like, I don't care if I'm an hour behind Ruth Croft at the 55 K mark. I want to be able to run well in the back half. Um, turns out I was going to be more than an hour behind Ruth Croft at the halfway mark. Anyway, <laughs> it was just like, it was not, it was not easy. Like it was hard. It was definitely warm early, but my crew did a great job of like cooling me down. Um, it was great. Like going up Platyclip, it was like, which is like this big gorge climb, <sighs> so like so cool, so beautiful. It was like, you know, like late more not late morning it was like, like like a good saturday morning people like all the families were out hiking like it was literally like i was getting paced by like an eight-year-old boy at one point in time because like you're just like in a conga line of like other humans out hiking and they're not going to just like jump off the trail for you so you're just kind of doing your thing with all these people but i've like i've like calmed down at this point like this is you know 30k in or so and i've calmed down i've like left the panic at the side of the trail somewhere else like saw my crew twice that was all great but then I get to the top of Platyclip I like high five the volunteers up there and I run into a school group and the school group is blocking like the one freaking turn you have to take on the top of Table Mountain and so I just keep on running like straight <gasps> in the wrong direction I know exactly where that is it's a hard turn mm -hmm. it doesn't quite look like a trail like a trail it doesn't look like a trail like you're on the yeah. main you turn off the main trail and there was just a school group standing in front of the turn like they just like were standing in front of mm. the, where I needed to be so I just kept going and I had like I'd been running with Carrie Ann Marshall and she'd come across the top of the climb just ahead of me and I was like cool like it'd be great to run this next se section with Carrie Ann I'm running the downhills better than her I'll be able to like latch back on and we can just like do this section together so I run like a kilometer and a half in the wrong direction and I finally run into this couple and I'm like hey like I'm getting the sense that I'm not where I'm supposed to be I see this couple out hiking and I was like, have you seen anyone that looks as distraught as me? <laughs> and they're like, oh, your turn is back there. We're pretty sure. And I was oh, like, no. no. So it's like just like an emotional hit. Just yeah. kind of wasn't necessarily like in it anyway, but that was like an emotional just like mm -hmm. shit. Like 
you got to be kidding me. So I like turn around. I'm like catching people that like I had passed on the climb who were struggling in the heat. Um, and I'm like, just like being like, yeah, took a wrong turn. Like it is what it is going to carry on. This next section takes way longer than I think it is anyway. Like I'm just like not in a rhythm. I'm like just distraught. I'm like running out of water because I thought like, cause I took like a two mile detour, um, which is dumb. And then I like finally make it into the next aid station. Happy to see them get like my stuff sorted out, get some fluid, et cetera. And in this next section, I get passed by two women or right before this next section, maybe I get passed by two women. Um, and they're both podcast listeners, Lisa mm-hmm. and Marina, both of whom I get to run a lot of the, the rest of the race with. So that's great. So I'm like, they both like see me and then they realize it's me and they're like, oh, Corinne, Aww. we love the podcast. And then they'd be like, oh my God, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. <laughs> like I'm just having a day. And they're like, do you need anything? Do you need snacks? Like we've got you covered. They're both South African, but Marina lives in uh, Colorado. And they're just like, they both check in on me. And I'm like, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I'm able to latch onto Marina. And she's just like this ball of positive energy. Like she is having the best time. And I am not having a time. I am having a bad <laughs> time. But it's mm-hmm. fine because I've got her positive energy. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, you know what? Just like turn your brain off and run with Marina. And she's going to tell you things. And she's going to be fun and excited. And you're just going to you're just gonna take whatever energy she gives you because you have nothing. You are You are an empty shell of a human being. And it's way too <laughs> early for this. And so we like, we run, we come into Ladudno together. I see my crew and like, I see a couple teammates there and they're like, how are you? And I'm like, you know, like it's bad. Like today is just hard. Um, Like climbing feels really hard. I'm running well downhill. I'm running well on the flats, but man, climbing is just garbage. I just feel empty. Like my legs just don't have anything in them. um, They like get me cooled down. They're like, it's okay. And I'm, but I tell them at this point, I say, I'm okay having a bad day but I don't want to hurt. And by hurt, I mean, like, I don't want to hurt myself. Like, I don't want, like, my my back acts up or my hip, you know, Mm -hmm. my pelvis acts up. Like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Like, I'm okay to have a bad day, but I'm not going to hurt myself for a bad day. And they're like, yeah, 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 it's fine. Like, you're fine. Like, don't even think about it. And in my head, I'm like, I'm thinking about it a lot. Um, But they just, like, brush it off because they're good crew and they're not going to, like, let me play into any of this stuff. And I get out of the aid station and I catch Marina and... um which like gives me an energy boost because I catch her and I'm moving better than she is now, which feel like I'm like, who energy. Like I feel okay. <laughs> and we climb up Southern peak to get, or we climb up the like rocket to rocket road together. Um, we hit that aid station. We climb up to Southern peak and on our way up to Southern peak, we could, we see this French guy just sitting on the trail, this guy, Hugo. And he's just sitting there like sitting on this rock. And I'm like, dude, like you can't sit here. You gotta, you gotta keep going. And he's like, no, you're moving faster than me. And we're like, Hugo, like, come on, let's go. And so he like joins our merry band of runners, which is Marina and I, Marina being still the positive ball of energy that she is and is like, just like every big rock we get to on Southern Peak, the Frenchman goes, oh, this is rock climbing. This is not running. Like he is upset mm-hmm. by the situation. I know what he's talking about. It totally is. Yeah. And we just like grunt our way up Southern Peak. We run into Hout Bay. Like we lose the Frenchman at some point on this descent. Um, he <laughs> ends up making it all the way to Alpha and Trail before he drops out. Um which is, you know, he he messaged us after the fact and he was like, I couldn't remember your names, but I thought 41 and 42 were funny. Like, I must find them. And that was mm-hmm. Marina's and my bib, bib number. Um, get into Hout Bay, like get reset there, feel good. Um, like I'm not moving fast at this point, but I'm moving. And it's like, at no point in time do I start, like I've like the question of like, am I going to drop out of this is like now gone. Like there's no question I'm going to finish this thing. It's just going to take longer. And so I like, I, I like reset into like deep ultra mode. It's like default lizard brain 
situation where like you're not thinking about anything anymore. You're just moving and it doesn't matter. And that's fine. And so we like we leave here. I end up um, I end up like picking up Lisa or Lisa picks up me again. I had passed her. She passed me back. And Lisa, again, is one of the Trail Society listeners. So go, Lisa. You're a boss. And we're like leapfrogging because she's running on the uphills and I'm not, et cetera. But then I'm running on the downhills and she's struggling there. And this guy comes up to us on our way to Nursery Ravine, which has 400 plus steps, I might add. And he like stops me to help me get my headlamp out of my pack. This is, I guess, past Alphen Trail at this point. Um, Helps to get a headlamp out of my pack. because It's going to get dark by the time we get to University of Cape Town, where my big headlamp is. And he's like, he like helps me get my headlamp out of my pack. And he goes, the girl in front of you is running the uphills really well, but you're running the downhills. Like you got, like you can't. And we're on this like, douche grade like this like tiny false flat climb on this dirt road and he's like you can't be walking right now like he basically was like told me to like quit being like such a like a little baby and to start running and I was like fine and then there's a South African guy named Mikey um who's like Mr. Cape Town who I keep like catching and then he looks and he sees me and he sprints away and so we (laughs) literally finish a minute apart it's great etc but it's like one of those things where I had all these little moments with people on the trail like I had like that those were the highs were like having these moments with particularly like South African locals for the most part that were just so memorable like these little moments of like Mikey and I like chasing each other and like us finishing the race and being like I hate you and he's like I hate you too (laughs) um you know he finished like 45 seconds ahead of me and it was one of those things where it's like I kept catching him on every downhill type of thing he'd see me and be like no and like sprint away or like all these miles that I spent kind of leapfrogging with with Marina and then with Lisa were just like so so cool and it's like was it the day I wanted no it was like two and a half the three hours longer than I was hoping for. But that is like, it is what it is. And it was cool to me. Like the high was the people, the low was like the wrong turn and just being like this, I'm out of it, like mentally checking out in a bad way. And then the maybe like the other like cool learning from it was that moment where I just like defaulted to like base level ultra mode where I didn't think like, I wasn't like, I'm going to drop out of this. Like it wasn't, it was cool because it wasn't like I was fighting anything. I was just, I was just doing it. Like I defaulted Mm -hmm. to like what my muscle memory is. And I didn't have to think like you got to keep pushing or I didn't have to think like you can't drop out. I just like my brain almost was like completely clear in like an empty way in which it was just like, cool, I'm going to see my crew every 20K or whatever it is. And I'm just going to keep mm-hmm. moving. And there's like no reason why I'm not going to finish this. And uh, that was that was cool to know that that like exists deep in me somewhere. And hopefully at some point in time I get to use that for like a very positive race outcome instead of my day <laughs> that I had. But it was super, super cool. Yay, running. Okay. <laughs> so kind of moving into our last our last section and I think I'm going to kind of blur the like hindsight to big reflection on 2023 into like one category mm-hmm. I wanted to say like hey we're a ways away from the race now like you know reflecting back on that experience but I want to take that to be a bigger reflection on just like the season mm-hmm. in general and maybe that's a learning from that from this race in particular from Doanthanon from UTCT or maybe it's a reflection on like the whole year of 2023 i'd kind of like to put those two things together so it's like hillary on on your end of things i'm kind of wondering like you know this could be a reflection on both like would you change anything going into this race or would you change anything about this season but it's kind of i want to reflect like big picture on like you know you learned a lot this year and i'm wondering kind of what you're taking away from both doyanthanon and just 2023 more broadly yeah i think i mean 
that's an impossible question of like, oh, like, would I change anything? Uh, yeah, like I wouldn't yeah, get breaking my it, foot about. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I think everything, you know, basically the things that happen, I choose to learn from them. And so I think it's um, the biggest thing that I learned about like enjoyment this year is that it's re- like it's re- it was really cool to really explore the multi-sport athlete that I've become, and I it's and I'm going to continue it. Um, and so that's, that's like a main takeaway. Um, and I think work put in is work put in. And so it's, it's motivating to see kind of like now where I'm at taking a little bit of downtime and then kind of building up for next year and being excited about different races and, um, you know, things to improve upon and, um, yeah. And like kind of continuing, you know, the, the body work and the stuff I need to do to help maintain like the ankle and, and all these, all these good things. I think there's a lot of bad and a lot of low moments, but like I was able to kind of reach out, grow my support team and learn a lot about myself and then take that, um, moving forward. So yeah. Hell yeah. Keely. I mean, I think that it's like, just kind of like, you know, broad, broad reflection, obviously, Mm -hmm. like you've had some high highs this year with like an amazing win at Black Canyon, a really good, day at western states until it wasn't you know mm-hmm. like it's kind of yeah. like the what ifs mm-hmm. and then obviously like you had a big kind of reflection take care of yourself point um before mm-hmm. building back for this race which was a, a big race maybe out, outside of your comfort zone and i'm kind of mm-hmm. wondering like taking away like what are you taking away from that specifically because mm-hmm. i think that's such a cool growth and learning moment mm-hmm. yeah i think this year has been full of learning moments i think by, you know, year 10 in the sport, you'd think that you'd stop learning, but that is not the case. Um, I would say that the resounding theme for this year, when I reflect on it, is that I need to do races that bring me a lot of stoke and I need to have a lot of fun on the training. And I think that I did that for Black Canyon because I was hungry from Western States and I love those trails in Arizona. I love the heat. And I really wanted to get back to Western States and that whole training leading up to black canyons was really low stress, really fun. And the race itself was really fun. And I stayed really focused on myself. And I think that is like the learning that I had to learn for States that maybe I would do differently in the future is that I think I got a little bit outside of my fun comfort and was a little more serious. And I think that resulted in me taking the race more seriously, but also thinking about the race more than my own needs. And while the race did go well, it obviously ended in disaster and also did not go as well as I think I should have done. Um, like I definitely wasn't running as strong as I wanted to at hundred K. And I think I definitely didn't take care of myself as much as I needed to, to that point. Um, and I also took the training a lot seriously. So I think my goal for this whole year or like the the like learning is that like, I need to choose races that bring me joy. And then I need to really enjoy the training and like, keep all of the stress low because like a super high driving person, kind of a perfectionist, like I'm going to be working. No. Hard enough. I don't <laughs> need that stress, right? Like I don't need the extra stress. I'm already pushing myself hard enough. And so it's the same with school. It's the same with everything. Like I don't need that additional stress because I'll already push myself hard enough. And so just remembering that going into 2024, where I don't need to put all this pressure on myself for these races. Like I'll prepare myself as well as I can. I need to have fun. And then I need to think about myself. Um, and I'd say those are, those are learnings. Oh, and that Pringles in a ultra are amazing. Sure are. You add some avocado to that and you've got yourself a winning some avocado smoothie and you're good. Yeah, you could Pringle, dip the Pringles, Pringles in the avocado smoothie. <laughs> I do love this one avocado slice on top of a Pringle. They are 
Oh, that's chef's amazing. Kiss. Um, yes, chef's kiss. That was like an I'm interested to hear. I'm interested to hear your links too, Corinne, because I feel like, you know, you learned a lot last year. And while this year was very different for you than last year, I think you also learned this year, even though like, you're probably like, man, how would I keep learning too? <laughs> I'm done learning, man. Yeah. So like, what was one of your biggest takeaways from the season or the last race um, that you think is something that's most worthwhile for your future career and that you'll take into next season? Yeah. I mean, I think this year was really cool. So I finished my first hundred mile race since 2019 by doing Cascade Crest, um, which is really fun. I, d- I dropped out of Madeira early on this season, but I ran like a really good 50 plus miles there. I dropped that to like preserve the rest of my season because I was worried that I was hurting myself. And I feel like I've got this interesting relationship with, with DNFs. It's like, I don't love to DNF, but I also like want to want to make sure I get to the start lines that I want to be at. And I want to make sure that I like I'm preserving my health like when and where I need to. Um, and I'm not a death before DNF person. I just want to put that out there into the ether. Um, but yeah, it was really cool to get to a start line and a finish line. And even more cool was that I feel like for the first time in years, I'm not trying, I'm not like panic training and I'm not trying to, I've been able to taper because it doesn't feel like Mm. in like the year before I didn't Mm -hmm. feel like a taper because it didn't feel like I had been training in order to taper. Like I felt like I was always fighting to get momentum as Hillary like mentioned earlier about this season. It felt like I was always fighting to gain a foothold. And because I wasn't, it felt like didn't feel like there was these natural ebbs and flows that Mm. you normally can create within a season. Mm. And here I had that, like I got to have this taper you know, headed into Cascade Crest where I like knew the work was done. And it was so cool to be like, I did the work check. Now it's about the race day. Same thing a little bit here with, with UTCT felt like, okay, I've done the work. I can like exhale now and just go and do the race. And I was excited to do the race and excited to be done with the race. Cause I think that Mm -hmm. at the end of the year, we're always just excited to get back to basics and get back to that exhale moment. But yeah, I think the big thing is just like, really, I learned both this year and last year that I, I know what I need. And I need to be an advocate for that. Like I've definitely gotten to start lines because someone said, why don't you do it anyway? Type of thing. When I knew that I didn't want to do it, or I knew that I wasn't ready for it, or I knew that my body, that'd be asking too much of my body. And I did it anyway, type of thing. And I think this year I was much better at not doing things because I thought I had to, but, but by, but doing things because I wanted to. And that's been a big, a big shift and something that I get to hopefully take forward into 2024 as well. And I think on that note, I would love to just take one more moment before we do a society slam and we finish this thing up um, is to like take that reflection and build it into like, who knows what the next month is going to hold, like let alone the next year. But I'm wondering about what we are each most excited about for 2024, be it running, be it our professional lives, be it life things that are coming down the pipeline, like just really excited to kind of reflect holistically about like 2024 is like around the corner. And I love, I love the new year. I love the change of the, of the calendar. Um, it feels like we're kind of born, born anew every single time. So Hillary Keeley, I don't know who wants to go first, but what are you most excited about for 2024? I don't, it's hard to choose just one thing. Honestly, I you think. You can be a couple things. What what, you, what are you going to get up to, kid? Huh? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm planning that right now from like a race point of view and just like personal, um, you know, personal point of view. But honestly, I think just, just to sum it up, like maybe in a general thing, one of my favorite things about, you cannot predict the future. Like I didn't know what was going to happen this year, right? I had things planned, they changed. 
Um, so I think the biggest thing is like learning, it never gets easier. I always have to pivot. We always have to like learn that we never have to stop being resilient. So it's like, okay, like I'm going to choose to be curious in which ways I'm going to have to be resilient in 2024 and how much I'm going to learn about myself, my friends, my family, you know, and, and that's, that's exciting to me. I love it. You did good kid. There's no wrong answer. <laughs> Nice work. I, I feel like I'm like patting you on the back. Here. Oh, my dog! My dog's gonna start barking here in a second because there's a guest driver. Um, Keely, what about you? I'm excited for two, for three things. I'd be remiss to say two. Um, the first thing being, I'm officially gonna be a doctor because I've gone into med schools. School. So I'll start med school in the fall. So that's exciting. Still haven't decided where exactly, but you know, we'll we'll decide that in due time, and then I'll let y'all know. Um, and then the second thing being my wedding. So I get married in June in Park City. So that'll be super fun. We're so excited. Um, <laughs> and then my third thing is that from a racing perspective, like because it's kind of my like last free year, if you will, like where I don't really need to stay stay side. Um, I think I'm gonna just try to do a lot of races that I've always wanted to do that are international. So hopefully that means I travel at least three or four times across the sea or ocean or wherever I go. Um, just because uh, I won't be able to do that for the next foreseeable future. So I'll be probably taking a year off of States um, just because of what I want to do with my last year. Um, and then, you know, probably return to States once I'm in med school, because um, I'll be able to run and train for that uh, as a student. I think maybe not to the best of my ability, but I do think I'll be able to train for it just because it doesn't require a ton of travel. And as a student, the first two years, um, your, your schedule is kind of on your own watch. And so I think I'll be able to kind of balance studying and, and running a little bit better than maybe year three, four. Yay. I'm so excited for you. Oh gosh. Things are blowing up on my end. Too many notifications. Okay. Um, <laughs> what am I excited what are, for? What am I doing? Um, I am excited to race. Like, I feel like this is the first year in a couple of years where I've been like, this is my calendar. Like, I'm really excited <laughs> about it. I do need to like confirm some stuff with the sponsor people, the sponsor overlords who uh, say good job or, or not. And they're generally really supportive and just trying to like strike a balance between events that are important for the team and events that are important and meaningful for me. So at least I can tell you the spring for sure. I'm going to be at Chuckanut in March. So returning to my ultra running roots is my first ever 50K chasing Keeley around in the woods in 2016. <laughs> Um, I'm going to go to Gorge, which was my second ever ultra, also chasing Keely around in the woods. Um, kind of going to help out with media there and do the 50K. And then I'm going to Transvolcania in May, Ooh. which was my first international race, I think, ever. Um, or one of my first international races ever. And I did not finish that race. I had a, a bad back spasm and they gave me a muscle relaxant on the course. And so I had to drop out. Um, they asked me if I wanted to continue. And I was like, you just injected a muscle relaxant into my butt. I definitely am not allowed to run anymore. <laughs> um, but excited to go back to Transylvania with the Adidas Terex team um, there, which is very different than when I went there last time. And I was a little North American Solomon athlete. And Hillary became my best friend because I yeah. didn't to talk to. <laughs> mm. So I'm, yeah, that I'm growing my coaching business a little bit, um, which is really exciting. And then another year as editor in chief with Free Trail, we published 115 original pieces this year, um, which feels massive, um, Keely yeah. being some of those pieces. So excited to kind of continue that and grow with the brand heading into 2024 as well. So before we let you go, we got a society slam because we've got three really outstanding ones 
Keely, you're going to lead us off with the mm-hmm. first shout out. Yeah. So first one's just a shout out. We had a listener tune in saying that they listened to last week's podcast. So it was the one we talked about lactation and red S and, um, she was saying how she had her only stress fracture when training for a half marathon while nursing her son. And she wasn't sleeping well, had postpartum depression, was training for her first half. And she felt really alone because this stuff wasn't talked about. And she didn't really know like why this all happened or how to prevent it. Um, and she blamed herself for it. And the shadow of the injury and the guilt I felt over it followed me for years in my training. Um, but she hasn't had another stress fracture since. And so she started thinking, you know, on her own, that maybe it was a combination of breastfeeding and having her child and all those things. She didn't know for sure. And she felt like kind of deflated from that injury, but she wanted to write in just to tell us like a thank you for highlighting that review and just talking about, you know, some of the unknowns that we're, we're currently beginning to study around pregnancy, lactation, and energy availability, and how all of those things are intertwined and how maybe there might be a best way to balance all three of those to make sure that you can lactate and feed your child and also maintain energy balance and and decrease your risk of stress fracture during that time. Love it. Yeah, it's just cool to know that you're not alone. The second was a question kind of around body shaming. Um, and it's interesting too, cause like we come from a place of like generally thin privilege, um, athletic beings, but at the same time, like I know, I know many of us have also experienced like, Oh, you don't look like an ultra runner thing from either, either side of it. So we want to come at this from a, um, a, it's never okay. It's never appropriate to comment on someone's body. Um, it's just like, you don't know where they're at in their life, in their relationship to their, to their size and shape. Um, and so I just, I would say that the the rule is just don't say anything, but they basically brought up like, you know, we talk a lot about body shaming, but there's also the other side of it where the other side of body shaming less traditionally is like the, like, Oh, eat a burger. Like, Mm -hmm. Oh, like you're too thin. Oh, like you like, you can eat like that because you run X, Y, or Z. And it's just like, that also isn't positive. That's also, you know, that's also very yeah. hard to hear. Um, mm-hmm. Steph Bruce had a post about this a couple of years ago, I think at this point, kind of, you know, talking about how like the other side of body shaming is there are a lot of like really thin women in sport um, who are generally oftentimes like naturally very thin too. And again, that's a form of thin of like thin and athletic privilege, um, but also feeling feeling the eyes of criticism on them all the time as well of like oh you're unhealthy oh eat a burger etc and it's just like I think what this brings up to me is like just really pushing the narrative or pushing the like consensus statement feeling that like it's just not okay to comment on someone's body so I'm sorry that like the listener that wrote in I think was coming from the that that side of things like the Steph Bruce experience of things and it's like I'm so sorry that you're experiencing that and just recognize that like it's not okay for anyone to ever say anything about your size or shape so well we're here for you uh something to think about i think because i think people don't think that that is harmful right it's even like the coaches that say oh like you look fast and it's like well what does that mean yeah like, i look fast how about like i am fast or i'm running well etc like you don't look like anything so mm-hmm. i'm sorry that you're dealing with that it like i'm in a constant a constant state of like trying to be aware of of how we talk about things and who we talk to them about so it's good food for thought mm-hmm. on that one and then Haley, we had someone that wrote in a question i'm wondering if you can tackle tackle that yeah writer writer read in reader write in reader write in there we go yeah and just a quick uh follow-up to the one that you just said corinne it's like i also recently just did a post about that from my experience in thailand so it's like yeah i just think it's 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 all out there we're here for you so um 
So, okay, the question that came in is, so you're quickly becoming one of my favorite podcasts, Long Choose Strong. Ah, look at that. Um, thank you. And thank you for all the helpful content you put out. I've run a couple marathons, but I'm dreaming of moving into ultras and I'm planning to kick it off with celebrating my 40th birthday by running 40 miles. Nice. Uh, the route will be point to point on roads and I don't want to assume anyone will be free to come out. So I want to plan for doing it self-supported. Do you have any tips on how to plan and prepare for the day? So that's a great question. Um, I'll say my two cents. I think leading up to it, I would actually I'd practice kind of running with extra stuff in your pack. Because if you're going to have to bring that stuff with you, um, you might want to practice what it feels like to have some heavier things on your on your back. Um, and I would invest in a filter if there's water along the way that you can uh, like sources, water sources along the way, or if it's mm -hmm. roads. Um, bring money you can cash, uh, I mean, you can it, cash things too right like that's totally. the thing too is that mm -hmm. i would preview if it's on roads i would preview your route by mm -hmm. car if you haven't previewed parts of it by foot already um it's like people go and drive a marathon course ahead of running a marathon right. oftentimes it's very common to to preview a course via vehicle um but you could also cash water and nutrition along the way either in locations where there's a known person there right that can hold on to that material for you or it's generally like we've seen it um on trail stuff too where someone will like you can cash a water bottle or a little a little box with some stuff yeah. in it and you just leave a note and saying like hey like i'm doing like my name is so and so i'm doing x y and z thing please do not take type of thing and, and generally <laughs> speaking it works out okay doesn't always work out but that is a definitely a way to do a self-supported run is that you are allowed mm -hmm. to cash mm -hmm. um stash material for yourself to collect along the route as well right. so that might be something that like works out well pending where this route is exactly mm -hmm. yeah and other things mm -hmm. even besides food and water like squirrels nut butter <laughs> yeah <laughs> healy what about you um i just would reiterate everything you guys said i think um yeah like just make sure to be prepared and then maybe because i'm a little jaded from from cape town just be extra prepared so like be like, oh, it could take this long, but it could also take this long. And then maybe even, oh, worst case scenario, it could take this long and just kind of be prepared for all of it just mm -hmm. in case. And so like, then you're never stranded out there with like not enough stuff. And then, you know, take your phone. And then if you have an inReach or something, take that as well. So people can track you um, and just so you can stay safe during yeah, it. Yeah, like but personal, personal safety. fun. Is the <laughs> most important part. And if someone can't run with you because maybe they don't want to run 40 miles or they don't have the time or, but say someone has the time to be out there, they could bike alongside you too. That mm -hmm. way they could carry some of your gear in, in a bag on their back where they're not mm -hmm. actually running it. I have um been bike bike nutrition crew for Devin Yanko doing road 50 mile stuff in the bay area before so you can definitely find a friend who maybe if you don't have a friend that wants to run it maybe you've got a friend that wants to bike it with you and that would be cool because they can carry stuff on their person and on the bike so that you don't have to necessarily cash things along the way but have so much fun that's a super fun goal 40 miles yeah, for 40th. so fun I love it <laughs> okay with that we are going to sign off for today. Thank you to listen. Like, thank you for listening to us ramble for this long. If you were still <laughs> listening, bravo. Kudos to you. Um, we hope that your 2023 is wrapping up nicely. And we cannot wait to dive into 2024 with you as well. <laughs>